welcome to our Kingdom Culture Podcast. For today's message, we are thankful for what God is doing through this podcast to encourage and transform lives around the world. If you have a story to share about how God has encouraged or transformed your life through this podcast, we would love to hear about it by emailing us at mystory@kingdomculture.ca. If you would like to support this ministry financially to help us bring messages like this to you every week, you can do so online at kingdomculture.ca at the give option. We also would love to connect with you on our social media, on Instagram and Twitter at KC Ottawa and Facebook at Facebook slash Kingdom Culture Ottawa. We pray that you would experience God today and be encouraged through today's message. Enjoy! Hey Kingdom Culture family, so good to see you this Sunday. We really hope that you enjoyed our Psalm 16 series the last two weeks. If you haven't watched it, please watch it. I know it will encourage you. I want to make a special welcome to all those that are part of our Kingdom Culture family. Welcome, welcome. So good to see you on here. Please like, share, subscribe if you haven't already. And for those that are watching for the first time, I want to welcome you with us. Maybe you landed here by accident. We really hope that you would stay with us for the duration of the message because I believe that God wants to speak to you today. So today marks a very special day in that we are launching a brand new series called Heart Seasons. Yes, Heart Seasons. Come on, say it out loud. You know, often heart seasons are hard seasons. Some of the most, some of the greatest seasons where God is working on the heart are some of the hardest seasons of our life. So we are launching into a brand new series called Heart Seasons, leading up to our special House of Hearts Sunday year-end sacrificial offering. You know, this is a big deal for our community within Kingdom Culture. Every year we do this in December, mid-December, and every year our culture blows me away with their radical generosity. This is an offering to strengthen the house and advance the work above and beyond the normal function of what we do as a church community, helping us end the year strong and start the new year off even stronger. Thank God for last year's generosity to help us stay strong and adapt to the changes that really COVID-19 and quarantine has brought upon us. People watching right now and many others sacrifice not only each week to allow the house to continue in strength, but also every year at the end as what I believe truly is an act of worship in our House of Hearts special offering. I can't wait to share next week how our organization and church community were able to distribute and designate the funds from the 2019 special year-end House of Hearts sacrificial offering. So stay tuned for that. You'll want to join us next Sunday. Our next House of Hearts Sunday is December 13th, calling it Quarantine Edition. It's sad but exciting to see what our house will do this time, seeing as though we are living through a pandemic. To kick off this new series called Heart Seasons, I want to read a scripture out of Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4, track with me on this, read it on the screen. It says this, verse 23, above all else, watch over your heart, diligently guard it, because from a sincere and pure heart come the good and noble things of life. I would propose that if the heart is unhealthy, we also get the opposite. In some translations, you'll read it like, for out of the heart flow the issues of life. This word for 
uh, with all diligence because the, the actual word above all else in the manuscript actually isn't there. This is just a phrase to, to, to continue to describe the thought of this verse. But in the actual Hebrew, we see the breakdown of when the writer says above or with all diligence, guard it. This word for with all diligence means to guard as a prison, as a prison ward would guard a prison, to be diligent, to stand, to stand in front of it, protecting the heart, to watch over the heart. This is so important in this season as we dive into the series called Heart Seasons. I want us to get a grip on the value of watching over our heart, protecting it, uh, and almost putting it in a spiritual prison, so to speak, to make sure that the wrong things don't get in and the wrong things don't come out, but only the good things. And so we want to make sure that in this season, moving into our House of Hearts Sunday, that we become a house, a spiritual house of kingdom culture, of healthy hearts. You guys, our heart is being challenged on so many levels, in so many areas in this season. And we want to make sure that we guard it right according to, I believe, what God wants us and wants for us in our life in this season. Let me read this same verse with a few more out of a different translation, out of the message translation. It says this, keep vigilant, watch over your heart. That's where life starts. Don't talk out of both sides of your mouth. Avoid careless banter, white lies, and gossip. Keep your eyes straight ahead. I love that. Ignore all sideshow distractions. This is a great word for all of us right now. Ignore all sideshow distractions. Watch your step and the road will stretch out smooth before you. Look neither right nor left to the political parties. Leave evil in the dust. I believe this, to watch over your heart is to control your tongue. I believe that, you know, the Bible actually says it, that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth will speak. If there was ever a season where we need to watch over our tongue, and if you haven't heard the message, I would encourage you to go back. There's a message that I spoke called Revive the Tongue several months ago. And I believe it's a word, if there ever was a word for right now, to encourage us to watch over what we say. Because out of the heart, out of the abundance of the heart, Matthew says, the, the mouth will speak. So I believe to watch over your heart is to control your tongue, to watch what you say. Our heart is reflected in what we say. Today, what I want to do, and I want to do this over the next several weeks, okay? I want to break down specific seasons that the heart goes through, specific seasons that the heart goes through. And, and hopefully, and, and I'm believing this, that the Holy Spirit will really speak to you, that he will really speak and illuminate areas of your life that he wants to transform. And so to start this off, I want to pray, God, I pray that you would use this message today to really illuminate, to, uh, to help us see what you see, to have your perspective I pray, God, that you would open up our minds and our eyes. I pray that you give us the tools that we need to protect our heart as we see uh, the different seasons that we may or may not be in and, and how to position ourselves in this season to walk healthy so that by the end of 2020, we could actually say our heart is really healthy in Jesus, in Jesus' name. So, uh, like I said, the heart goes through many seasons. It goes through challenging ones. It goes through stretching ones. Today, I want to talk about 
seasons of isolation. And so if you're taking notes, my message is actually called heart exposure seasons of isolation. Now, for some of us in this season, we are maybe in a forced isolation. I mean, it's it's obvious, you know, we're uh, around the world and even in where we live in the province of Ontario, there is lots of restrictions that kind of facilitate uh, uh, a, a level of isolation in this season. And so maybe we feel like we are, let's call say victims for the, for the lack of better words, of the isolation that's being enforced in this season if you live in specific provinces in Canada that are under higher levels of restriction. Maybe you're in a season of isolation where it's willing. Maybe you feel like you're going through some stuff and you want to retract, you want to escape, you want to uh, not respond to those that are reaching out to you, ignore. Uh, maybe you don't want to be in community and and maybe even though at one point in your life you valued community and, and you valued it when you were going through a, a good season, but now you're going through a hard season because it's a heart season and it feels like isolation for you and and the very thing that you need to do you don't want to do which is be in community and so you want to go through this process alone maybe there's loneliness that is set in as a result maybe it but it's maybe it's willing and and I'm hoping and I'm praying today that God would speak to you to give you a, a bigger picture or a revelation and some wisdom on on where he wants us to be in this season of whether it's forced or willing isolation in and through our lives. I want to read a scripture out of Proverbs chapter 18, verse 1. I love the Proverbs. I love the wisdom in Proverbs. And it says this, A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. In other words, there's a level of selfishness in isolation. We may not realize this. We may not think it like this. We may not be self-aware of the selfishness that's driving the isolation. Because here's the reality, guys. If you're in the body of Christ, your isolation actually pulls strength out of other people that you are supposed to be and called to be connected with. So every time you retract, you're actually also uh, almost taking like a, a withdrawal and, and taking from those that you are called to do life with. And this is why there's a level of selfishness in isolation. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't good uh, forms of isolation. And, you know, obviously there's balance in everything. I mean, if you if you want to go, you know, spend time with God, you know, encourage, go to an isolated place, go to a solitary place. Jesus did that. But there's a balance, you guys. You cannot live in that space off balance in isolation for too long before things begin to break down around your life. Now, you may feel, I'm not isolated. I'm on social media. Social media is not a place to, to come out of isolation. You need people. And in a time where everything is online, there are still ways that you can connect even if it's not in the flesh. Although that, I believe, is the best way to do it. So Proverbs 18 verse 1 says, a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages, listen to this, against all wise judgment. That word for wise judgment is sound wisdom. When you isolate yourself, disconnected from community, from the people that love you, that want to support you, want to walk with you, the people that you once would have said, I want to do life with. I want to walk with these, these people. I want to walk with these individuals. When you isolate yourself, it says that you're raging against what is wise. You're raging. You're coming against 
what actually is wisdom. The Bible says this even in Proverbs uh, in, a, in, a, in a, another verse that he who walks with the wise becomes wise. Well, here's the thing. If you are not walking with anyone, let me just tell you, it's not the healthiest thing for you. You're not going to become all that you were created to become. We were created to be in community. We were created to be connected, interdependent, not independent. A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. That word for isolates means to divide. It means to be out of joint. It means to separate. It means to sever oneself. I mean, this is, this is opposed to all that Paul encouraged when it came to the body and each part has a place and, and, and each part has a role and each part has a purpose. And when we are disconnected from the body, the other parts of the body begin to suffer. Your value is massive. Your connection is massive. It contributes to the greater good and the greater health of the community that you are connected to and the relationships that you are in. So wisdom says aggressively pursue help, pursue support, pursue friendships in this season, pursue community when you feel like a part of you is being isolated. Foolishness says the opposite. It says run. It says hide. It says ignore. It says, don't respond to people when they reach out to you. It says, figure it out on your own. You deserve it. You deserve to have a, a, a season where you're all alone. I can't tell you how many times over the last 18 years that I've heard people say and justifiably find ways and reasons to, to try to convince people that being alone is a good thing. Now, like, like I said, don't hear me say that being alone is a bad thing. I'm talking about when it's out of balance and things begin to self-destruct in your life. You can tell when you've been alone too long, when the heart becomes sour, when the heart becomes bitter, when the heart becomes uh, just almost in a place of just doubting and distrusting and just losing everything that you once held valuable prior to the isolation, all of a sudden now it's all thrown out the door. When people go through processes like that, usually it's a sign that the isolation is not a good thing for them. I want sound wisdom in this season. I thank God for my good friends. I thank God for mentors, people that I can reach out to, I can be honest with. And my greatest prayer always is, when I pray, and even people ask me, what do you want me to pray about for you? I always usually say wisdom, wisdom. Wisdom in how to lead, wisdom in how to manage life, wisdom in how to take the next step or take the, uh, in whatever step it's supposed to be, wisdom to know what the next step is supposed to be. I want wisdom. And, if, and, and Proverbs 18.1 is very clear. To that if we're not if we're not connected if we are isolating if we are in a place of selfishness we are not in sound wisdom we're actually raging against sound judgment and sound wisdom it's in seasons like this that put a type of pressure on an individual isolation puts pressure an unnecessary pressure when you feel like you're all alone when you feel like um, you know, like I have to manage life on, their, on my own. There's nobody else living what I'm living. That's usually what happens in the head and in the psyche when you're alone too long. Nobody else is going through what I'm going through. Nobody else thinks like I think. Nobody else feels what I feel. And in these seasons, what ends up happening is we put an unnecessary uh, pressure point on our life, which ends up bringing 
uh, really self-destruction. It says in Proverbs 24, verse 10, if you fall to pieces in crisis, there wasn't much to you in the first place. I would propose this. The reason why we fall to pieces in crisis is because we don't have the right people around us to protect the pieces from falling. When you have people around you holding you, you know, uh, uh, protecting you, defending you, walking with you, people to lean on. If those pieces begin to uh, attempt to fall off, guess who's there to pick them back up? Guess who's there to restore? It's the people that you are called to do life with. Now, this is not a message around, you know, the value of community, but I really feel God saying to us today, and for those of you that are listening right now, some of you, you need to hear this. Don't isolate don't isolate. If you feel like it's been forced on you, do whatever you can to pursue uh, the right things in your life so you do not self-destruct while you're in isolation. Maybe it's willing. I believe God's calling you out today of isolation. I believe there are three questions, three questions that God asks us in moments and or seasons of isolation that go on within our heart. Remember what I said earlier, that hard or heart seasons are hard seasons. Heart seasons are hard seasons. Seasons where God is really working on the heart, which we are called to protect, honor, and respect. And season when God is working in our heart in these seasons, really, it's hard. And I'm not saying, trying to say that it's supposed to be easy today. I'm just trying to encourage you to see a little bit different in this season. And I believe God is going to ask you some questions today. And in your response, like a good counselor would do, in your response, you're going to come into your own breakthrough in Jesus' name. So there are three questions that I believe God is asking us or asks us in moments and or seasons of isolation. Number one, he asks us this, where are you in this season? What is your location? Where do you currently stand? Where do you currently sit? I want to bring you back to the beginning when everything was perfect. God created a garden called the Garden of Eden. That, that word literally could be defined as fenced in pleasure. Men and women were created to, to, to live and dwell in fenced in pleasure, pure ecstasy. They were hanging out with God in the cool of the day. They enjoyed the fruit the fruits off the tree and they enjoyed, they just enjoyed life. And God said to them, listen, you have one condition, you have one rule, one law, one law. And really it's a picture of like, uh, you know, I want you, I want you in command. I want you to love me with all your heart, soul and mind, but I'm going to give you an option out. I'm going to give you an option to be independent, not interdependent. I'm going to give you an option because I love you so much. I need you and I want you to have free will. I want you to have the freedom to choose. And so I'm going to place uh, a tree in the middle of the garden, in the midst of the garden. I'm going to place a tree called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I'm going to place that tree in, in, in a place where, where you, you just, you're going to walk by it every day. You're going to see it every day. Um, you might even be tempted by it, but I'm going to give you the opportunity to say no, but ultimately say yes to me. Now, obviously God knew what man would choose. 
Because even though we have free will, and this is another can of worms, even though we have free will, God still knows what we're going to do before we do it. Now, you would say, well, doesn't that mean that we don't have free will? Absolutely not. Just because God knows what you're going to do doesn't mean that he hasn't given you the ability to choose to do it. We're not robots. We're not walking around possessed by this uh, uh, you know, divine entity that's telling us what to do. No, we choose to do stupid things. And we choose to do good things, okay? We have a free will, but God still knows what we're going to do. So God had a backup plan in his name, which really wasn't a backup plan. It's kind of weird saying that, but really a plan, another plan, let's call it another plan to change the game and restore everything back to its original intention. And his name was Jesus, okay? So now just, let's go back to the garden a little bit for a second. I'm kind of jumping all over the place right now. Man and women, man and women are in the garden. They they are supposed to not eat off that tree. They choose to eat off that tree. And in that very moment, their eyes are opened. Sin enters into the heart of man. Then all of a sudden, they feel feelings that they were never meant to feel. And that is shame. That is guilt. That is fear. And you see it because the very next moment after man and woman took fruit off of that tree, it says that they were hiding. It says that they were hiding. Genesis chapter 3, verse 9. God actually is walking in the cool of the day, walking in the garden, and Adam is hiding. He's hiding behind a bush, and God says, where are you? Now, it's not because God didn't know. It's not because God's up, man, like, where'd they go? You know, are we playing hide and seek here? I didn't get the memo. Like, where did they go? No, he knew what man would do before they did it. And God asks, where are you? Why does he ask the question? God never asks a question that he doesn't already know the answer to. When God asks a question to us, it's because he wants us to hear our own answer and come to a conclusion. That's actually the way that often the rabbis, the rabbinical leaders of the day of Jesus, would, would, would mentor and disciple their disciples. That's why often when the disciples would ask a question or the people would ask a question, the masses would ask a question, the religious leaders would ask a question, Jesus's response wasn't an answer. It was response a response with a question, a question to a question. Because, you know, in that culture, especially in Hebrew culture, it was, it was more about getting you to learn to come to your own conclusions rather than give you an answer. That's a Greek way of thinking. We want the answer. What's one plus one? Well, it equals two. That's not how Jesus taught his disciples, okay? So, and this is the way that God is. And so God asks a question so that you can hear your own answer and come to a conclusion and come to a realization, which is what was happening in this scripture. God wanted Adam to come to a realization of his sin. God wasn't there to say, you sin. God wanted Adam to come to a revelation of his own sin, of his own guilt, of his own shame. And in that place, then there was that conversation. That, that conversation began to happen and everything changed from there on in. And to this day, we are living in that space. But thank God for Jesus because he's restored us back to relationship with the Father that Adam actually severed a long time ago. And that's why it's called good news. So let me ask you a question in this season. Are you hiding from relationship, whether it's with God or whether it was with people that care? Even if it's through a phone call, a Zoom meeting, a text or in person, what's happening with you in this season? One of the great things that I've learned, you know, with our Michelle and I's marriage counselors is to not, it's not always about asking why you do something. 
Just like we don't ask, God never answers to us even the why question. Usually it's, God, what are you doing? What are you doing in me? And I want to I wanna change that a little bit and ask you, what's happening for you in this season? What do you think God is doing? What realization are you coming to in this season, in your isolation, in your hiding? Maybe you feel like you are like Adam in shame, in guilt, what you've done. You've separated yourself in some way. There's guilt, fear robbing you of the relationship that God has called you to have, not only with him, but with people. Where does your heart sit in this season? Where does your heart stand in this season? Is it sitting in health? Is it standing in health? Or is it sitting and standing in hurt? Where is your heart in this season? This is what God wants you to come to your own realization on. Is your heart hurting in this season? And that's why maybe you're hiding. You're hiding from the very people and the very thing that you know you need the most. I believe God wants you just to acknowledge it. It's the first step in coming out of isolation. It's the first step of breakthrough while you're in this season. I'll tell you where I am at in this season. I'll tell you what's happening for me right now in this season is that there is a joy in me that it really, it's the joy of not knowing what God is doing totally. I have a perspective of what God is doing. I believe God speaks today and God has spoken to me and he's speaking to me very consistently through this season. It doesn't mean that I don't struggle with some of the opposite emotions that come with the fear, that come with the doubt, come with the wondering, okay, so how is this going to pan out? How is this going to play out? But I tell, I'll tell you what's happening for me. I have a joy because in this season, I know that the unknowns are bringing me to my knees to pursue him even more, to pursue God, to pursue understanding. God, what do you have for us? I am in a season of hyper reevaluation. What does it look like for kingdom culture moving forward? What does it look like for my life, for our community? What does it look like? How do we continue to navigate what we don't even know yet is the new normal? Because in Ontario, we haven't even come out of this season, so to speak. So what does it look like? I am in this season. I'll tell you where I am in the season of pursuit. God, I want your presence to be first. I don't want just to be led by principle. I don't want just smart decisions. I want spirit-led decisions. I don't want just good decisions. I want God decisions. Now, what, did it, what are you saying in this season? I don't want to waste my time. I don't want to waste your time. We don't want to waste our time as a community, as an organization, doing something that sounds good but maybe won't produce the kind of God results that he wants us to produce in this season. And so I have a joy in this season. I am in this place of just pursuing God. God, what do you want for us in this season? Do I have all the answers? Absolutely not. Do I have some? Yes. But it's a season, I believe, where in isolation, I'm actually in a place where my relationship is getting stronger with God. And that's what I want to encourage you. Maybe that's you in this season. That in isolation, in the season of isolation, the heart season that's happening is just a rejuvenation. I've said it over and over again. We're being quarantined for revival. Revival of what? Revival of the heart in areas of our life that maybe in the past season became dull. Uh, a revival in the heart in areas of our life in past seasons where maybe we lost hope. A revival, a resurrection, so to speak. Maybe that's you. We celebrate that today. But maybe you're on the other side of it. And maybe you feel like it's, you're in this forced isolation or willing isolation and you're realizing, man, I can't stay here forever. I believe God wants to pull you out in this season and bring you into health from hurt to health in Jesus' name. I remember when 
I think it was a couple years ago now, in the summer months, I really felt the Lord gave me a blueprint for a season. It was like, I think it was about over, a little bit over three months. And every morning, every morning, I woke up and for over 40 minutes, just prayed in my spiritual prayer language every morning. Every morning, every morning. Why? First Corinthians 14 talks about when I pray, my mind is unfruitful, but my spirit is built up. I want my spirit to be built up in seasons like this. I remember in that season, it was also a hard season because it was a heart season. And in that season, some of the greatest heart breakthroughs happened in me because I spent time building myself up. I didn't want to let myself get bitter. I wanted myself to get better. And so I knew when God spoke to me, Sean, I want this for you in this season. There was great result on the other side of it. That's why we need a God decision, not a good decision. A spirit led decision always produces the kind of results that we are called to produce, not just a smart decision. That's for somebody today. So number one question that God asks when we are in a heart season of isolation is where are you? Number two is why are you fill in the blank? Why are you fill in the blank? You can fill it in. Maybe why are you complaining? Why are you doubting? Why are you questioning everything in this season? Why are you in fear? Why are you sad? Why are you lonely? Or in Moses's case, who I want to draw from in this passage. Why are you crying? Why are you shrieking out to me? Why are you calling to me when I've already given you the wisdom and I've already given you the stepping stone or the step to take next? Why are you uh, doing what you're doing when I've already spoken to you? Because I'll tell you this, before I get into the scripture, you know, leadership, let me just tell you that for any leader out there listening, if you've ever led people, if you're the leader, if you're a leader in some capacity, chances are you will or are already have experienced the the level there's a level of loneliness that comes on every leader i don't care who you are out there everyone feels it at some point you know in leadership okay and Mo imagine moses for a second imagine moses moses here he is you know he is an exile from egypt even though he was a Hebrew raised in Egypt, he was exiled really from his family in the beginning and then exiled out of Egypt, uh, fled for his life because of murder and then spent 40 years with his father-in-law as a shepherd, spent time with Jethro as a shepherd for 40 years. Then he's called to go back to Egypt to set his people free who are enslaved in Egypt, who have been enslaved for over 400 years. He's sent back. This guy probably hadn't read any John Maxwell books. This guy, you know, hadn't invested his time in leadership school 101. He never heard the Supernatural Leadership Podcast by Sean Gaby, which is a shameless plug. I would encourage you to get on the podcast. I know it will encourage you. It's different content, uh, strategic content to help your leadership. But he never heard any of these podcasts, never heard any, had any of these textbooks, these books, these programs, these e-courses, these mentoring and coaching programs for leadership. He just had the leader himself teach him. He had a presence-driven relationship with God. He had an encounter at 80 years old with a burning bush, heard a voice speak to him. You're called to deliver my people. And then he had an argument with that burning bush that I don't know if I can do it. I can't even talk properly. God didn't even really acknowledge that and still called him to do what he did. So now here he is, Moses, learning how to become a leader really probably for the first time in his life. And he's going to lead a whole whack load of people out of slavery into a so-called promised land. But he, first, he's got to go back 
to Egypt. He's got to have conversations with the Pharaoh. He's got to like perform some stuff, show that God is real to Pharaoh so that Pharaoh will willingly, in a sense, let the people of God go. Now we know the story, many plagues, many battles, and eventually the people go. Eventually the people go and Moses leads them, Moses leads them out of Egypt. But really, you know, after uh, some conversation and questioning, Pharaoh decides to go after them. Now, you got to get this for a second. God spoke to Moses, said, you're going to do this. You're going to lead them into the promised land. God gave him the wisdom. God gave him the confirmations. God gave him the signs, the plagues, the things that hopefully would have so encouraged Moses and the people to never doubt again, ever, you know. But that wasn't the case. And we see it through 40 years of wilderness wandering. We see this happen. And so Moses gets them out of gets them out of that slavery, that place, and they're going along a journey, and they come to their first obstacle, the Red Sea. There's no way they can cross. There's no way they can get across all these people. They got the gold, they got the silver, they got all this stuff, they got food, they have, you know, kids, they have, you know, just it's just like hundreds of thousands of people. They're there. What do they do? Where do they how do they get across? Well, he has to trust in God as his leader, as the new leader leading his people out of slavery. And so Pharaoh ends up saying, you know what? You know, we're going to go after them. That was just a ploy. We're going to go after them. And they chase after uh, Moses and all the Hebrew people, God's people. So now they're kind of freaking out. They're like, you should have left us in Egypt to die. It was better to die. You know, it's, it, or not Egypt today. You should have left us in Egypt, at least as slaves. At least we had some food on our table. We had jobs, uh, slave jobs. It was better there. Now we're in this whole new world, this whole new space. And now we're about to die uh, a really brutal death. And I don't want to die here with you. I would rather be back as a slave with food on my plate. And Moses is having this engagement. Now imagine what was going through Moses' mind in this moment. It says this in Exodus 14, verse 13 to 16. In this moment, listen to what Moses says to the people when they're complaining, they're freaking out about what was happening. They're at the Red Sea moment. They need a supernatural miracle to cross. It says this, Moses said to the people in verse 13 of chapter 14 of the book of Exodus, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. So Moses pronounces what is going to happen in confidence as a leader. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. Verse 14, the Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. Verse 15, so, like, you gotta understand this. Let's just let's just go back for a second. Moses pronounces this to the people, gives them confidence as a leader, as a leader should, gives them confidence, speaks the prophetic word of promise over what's about to happen. Just trust in God. Verse fourteen. Then the Lord, or sorry, verse fifteen. Then the Lord said to Moses, "Why do you cry to me?" Why do you cry to me? This is where I drew my last point. Why are you? And you can fill in the blank. Maybe it is in the season of isolation. You're crying out to God. Take me out. I don't want to be here anymore. You're, you're, you're shrieking to God. You're calling to God. I don't want to be in this place anymore. Maybe you're complaining. Maybe you're just struggling. And I'm not, 
I'm not trying to diminish what it is that you're going through, whatever it is that you're going through. This is a question that you have to answer. God says to Moses, I, I feel like it didn't even sound like very compassionate, to be honest with you. It's like you think, you know, leadership 101 was still in play. Okay, Moses, I know you're new to leadership. I, um, I just want to say, though, you, you just announced by my word that I'm going to protect them. They're going to hold their peace, that I'm going to fight for them. And now you're taking it upon yourself and really you're questioning you're questioning in your crying. You're questioning, because the word actually means to shriek or to call out. You're questioning and you're calling out to me. Really, your prayer is full of doubt. Your pronouncement was full of faith, or so it sounded, but now your prayer sounds like it's full of doubt. What's happening with you, Moses? Stop your crying. Didn't sound very compassionate. Why do you cry to me? Tell, listen, listen, what, listen what God says. Tell the children of Israel to go forward. He gives them an instruction rather than coddle him, rather than, you know, give him a big old hug. In this moment, Moses doesn't need any of that. Moses needs some major instruction. Moses needs reminders. Sometimes the very thing we want in life, in hard seasons, which are hard seasons, isn't the very thing that we need. Sometimes we want God to come down on a cloud and just rub our back and love on us. And he does that. Maybe not on a cloud, but he does that through various means, through people in our life, through speaking to us, giving us a dream, having an encounter with him in a real way. He does those things. But sometimes the very thing we need is actually not the thing that we want. I'm sure Moses did not want to hear what God said, but God needed to get Moses to be the leader he was called to be by giving him the instruction to know what to do next. It was wisdom. Tell the children of Israel to go forward. Verse 16, but lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. I think this is a great illustration for us today of what happens in these moments. In isolation, sometimes we cry out, we complain, we wonder, and God doesn't always answer our cry the way that we want him to. God doesn't always come down and level with us on that same playing field. Sometimes God comes down and gives us what we need to hear, not what we want to hear. And sometimes it comes in the form of a person encouraging us, a leader encouraging us, friends rallying around us. We don't want to hear that. We want to stay in isolation. We want to be in that place of, of just negativity and hurt. Sometimes people find literal identity and security in staying hurt and staying better or bitter. God wants to heal us today. I really believe that with all my heart. God wants to heal us today. He wants to restore us today. He wants to get into our, our why we are doing what we are doing by getting to the core of what is happening to us in this moment. And I believe God's instruction literally, literally changed the game in the area of what was happening to Moses in that moment. In a play, in a, in a way where Moses wasn't even able to stay there, he just acted, he just did it. And what happened? God delivered the people from the hand of Pharaoh once again by dividing the Red Sea and allowing them to cross on dry ground. God was the victor. God pulled through on what he said he was going to do. Man, I, I just believe in seasons like this, it's so easy to get angry at God, to get doubtful, to, be, to get unbelief in our hearts. And it's okay to feel these moments, but we can't live 
in these moments forever because there will be a momentum of it that will take over our life. Proverbs 19 verse 3 says, People ruin their lives by their own foolishness and then are angry at the Lord. People ruin their lives by their own foolishness and then get angry at the Lord. Sometimes we approach God this way. We're angry at God. But if we were to trace back how we got to the place that we got to, I wonder how much of it was us allowing all the junk to get in. And somehow we needed someone else to blame, something to blame, and we ended up blaming God. So many people leave church, leave community, leave their life call because of anger, because of hurt, because of sadness, shame, guilt, undealt with, unprocessed, like we heard last week. People abort and leave everything and sabotage everything good in life because we have failed to protect and guard the most important part of our life, and that is our heart. To keep our heart in a healthy spiritual prison against all the bad that will try to come in to corrupt and bring the bad out of us, God wants us to have a healthy heart. Don't ruin your life because of foolishness and then blame God because of it. And then expect God to bring you out of it. God wants to restore the heart, restore perspective in this season. So my prayer for you is that you would be able to confidently answer this question, why are you, whatever the fill in the blank is for you, so that you can come to a realization of what God wants to do in and through your heart in this season. So we have the first two questions. Let me go over it for you again. Where are you in this season? That's a good question that God will ask us in seasons of isolation. Number two is, why are you? And you can fill in the blank. And number three, our final question that I believe God asks in heart seasons of isolation are, is, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing where you are? What are you doing with what you have? What are you doing? Now, I want to read out of 1 Kings chapter 19, but to, to really understand chapter 19, the verse I'm going to read, we have to understand 1 Kings chapter 18. But I want to read the verse in chapter 19, 1 Kings verse 9, speaking to Elijah. God is speaking to Elijah, his prophet. And he says this very simply, but the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? Once again, God is not up there wondering, what is Elijah actually doing here? He knows exactly what's happening. He knows exactly how he got from point A to point B. He wants Elijah to process the emotion. He wants Elijah to process what's happening, to come to a realization so he can come to breakthrough. He wants Elijah to be open and honest with what's going on in him. It says in verse 9, But the Lord said, Then what are you doing here, Elijah? And he asks it a second time in verse 13. The same thing. What are you doing here, Elijah? I haven't got through the first time. I'm going to get through the second time. God, and God never really even responded to Elijah's complaint. When God asked him, what are you doing here? And Elijah complained about all that was going on in his life and how there was no one for him and everyone seemed against him. And, and I was I, he's the only one that is like serving God. Everybody else is following other gods. And Elijah was kind of complaining. He was kind of processing. His heart was in an unhealthy place, which once again is okay for seasons. You just can't live there. Okay, you got to get through it. God wants to transform the heart and that it's often a hard season for that to happen. It's a hard season, as I've been saying. And it says in verse 15, after the second time that God asked, 
what are you doing here, Elijah? It says that God told him to go back the same way he came and anoint Hazael, Jehu, and Elijah, which was two kings and a prophet. And by the way, Elijah, I will save 7,000 people just like you to so you stop complaining. So I'm giving you the solution, okay? So I'm giving you the provision that you're asking for. I'm setting the record straight. There's 7,000 that haven't bowed their knee to Baal. I'm going to show them. I'm going to reveal them to you just so you have some support because you feel like you're all alone because often when you get isolated, you feel like there's nobody else out there that thinks or feels what you feel and there's nobody else like you going through what you're going through. And so God had to kind of pivot. But God said to Elijah, you need to go back where you came from. And this is what happens to us in seasons of isolation. When we get off track, God brings us back to go forward. We got to retrace our steps to make sure that when we exit a season, it's not premature and we exit healthy. And so I believe it's an illustration for us. God said, I want you to go back the way you came. And then I'm going to give you the wisdom you need on how to move forward. But first I have to kind of set some things right in your heart, ask you some questions, bring you some realizations so that you're ready to handle the next assignment. What are you doing here? How did you get here is really what God was asking Elijah. How did you get here? Can you acknowledge your fear, Elijah, so you can move forward? Now, let me just bring you some little, some context for what's happening here um, scripturally. So Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah prophet, man of God. I mean, if there was ever a superhero in the Bible, probably it would have been Elijah, okay? Elijah, he he confronts 850 uh, uh, false prophets, calls fire down on them. It's a crazy uh, show, demonstration of God's power, wild moment. And then he prophesies right after that, the end of a three, over a three-year drought where there was no rain. He prophesies that it's going to end. He hears the sound of the abundance of rain. And then he goes and tells King Ahab at the time, the king, he goes and tells King Ahab and says, listen, get your chariots ready. I hear the sound of the abundance of rain coming. I've prophesied the end of the drought. And then it says that he girded up his loins. Something supernatural happened on Elijah. And he ran over 20 miles, Okay like super speed, like the flash, okay, from the DC comics. He ran like the flash, super speed over 20 miles into Jezreel ahead of the chariot. This was a supernatural sign and wonder. Elijah had some crazy things happen to him. He would transport physically. I mean, God would pick him up and place him other places. And that's why when he was taken up in 2 Kings chapter 2, all the other prophets were like, hey, I just think God picked him up and put him on a different mountain. Because that was normal in that culture. I'm not going to go there. That's for my school of the language of the spirit 201, okay? Transportation. But anyways, Elijah had a crazy life. He was like a, a biblical, in my mind, superhero type, okay? So he runs supernaturally. So he has all this crazy stuff happen, demonstrations of power. And then he gets a threat from King Ahab's wife named Jezebel. That Jezebel's going to come after him. He's doomed. How dare you? Take, take out my prophets, the prophets of Baal that were under me serving me, the prophets of Asherah. How dare you do that? I'm coming after you. That, if, that by this time tomorrow, if you're not dead, I mean, I don't know. Like you're, he, she, she threatened Elijah. Elijah all of a sudden went into fear and all of a sudden went running. Okay. And it says this, and I'm going to, I'm just going to paraphrase some stuff for you. Now, let me just, let me just clarify something. In, in verse 46 of chapter 18, you see, Elijah running with confidence. Okay. 
Then moments later in verse 3 of chapter 19, he's running with fear. How can you go from running with confidence to running in fear so quickly? He ran, and it says in verse 4 of chapter 19 that he went into isolation, you guys. He was with his servant. It says he left, as it's a very important detail, he left his servant in a place and went into a deserted place by himself into isolation. He went into a willing isolation, the worst thing you can do. When you're under threats, when you're under intimidation, when you're under attack, when you feel like you're going through a hard time, the worst thing you can do is get by yourself, especially for too long. It says he left his servant there and went to a deserted place for the day, sat under a broom tree and said, God, take my life. He became suicidal. I don't understand, but I do at the same time, how you can go from running with confidence, calling down fire on 850 false prophets, running like Superman or the Flash, prophesying the end of a drought, all these amazing things, and then one threat from a woman sends you running for your life, losing and forgetting everything that just happened, just moments earlier, days earlier. But the, the key that I want us to get today is that the reason why he became suicidal, the reason why he became what he became in that moment emotionally is because he was alone. He didn't have anybody to lean on, no one to lift his soul, no one to encourage him, no one to champion him. He was alone, sat under a tree, said, God, take my life. There's no one for me. I'm the only one like this. And what happened in that moment, an angel came twice and gave him some angel food kick some raisin cakes, woke him up, gave him some, some, some food to strengthen him. And then woke him up again a second time, gave him some food and said, you need to eat this Elijah. And once again, God didn't even acknowledge you guys, the suicidal thoughts. God didn't even acknowledge what he was going through. We would think today in our nice, you know, bunny rabbit Christian culture that, 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 that was so uncompassionate, but you know what? Sometimes compassion is actually wisdom. Like God knew what Elijah needed in that moment. God didn't need a counseling session. God needed to give him strength for what he was going to do 40 days later. God said, you need to eat this because the journey you're about to embark, embark on, you need it for strength. And it says Elijah went for 40 days en route to Mount Sinai. And that's where he had the encounter, you guys, with God. Again, just like Moses did on Mount Sinai, Elijah has an encounter near the rocks where the, where the power of God shows up. And he heard a gentle whisper and you can read it. He has a power encounter and that's in that place is where God asked the question, what are you doing here? 40 days before any interaction that we know of, 40 days without any interaction outside of an angel bringing him provision, 40 days goes by and God asks him a question in the first interaction that we see recorded, what are you doing here? And then asks him a second time, what are you doing here? Elijah, I'm healing you. Elijah, I'm restoring you. Elijah, you needed to go on this journey to discover yourself again. I'm bringing you back to a place of confidence. I have an assignment for you, but for that assignment to be filled, I need to replenish you. I need to nourish you. I need to strengthen you. I need you to go on a journey of self-discovery. You cannot live. You have to come out of isolation. I have something so great for you in this season. And I want to ask you in this season, what are you doing in this season with what you have? What are you doing with what God has given you? What are you doing in the place where you are right now? Maybe you're in a good place. Maybe you're in a bad place. I believe God wants you to come to the realization today 
of how you got here. Sometimes to come to the realization, you have to go back a little bit and realize how you got there. How did Elijah get to that place? I would propose this, that a lot of the depth of what was happening within Elijah emotionally started and was initiated, not just by the threat, but by the isolation that he went into. The place that he got to, the lowest point maybe of Elijah's life happened because of willing isolation. And I believe God wants to call you out today in Jesus' name. Maybe you're in a season of isolation and maybe you know you resonate with one, two, or three of these questions that God is asking you today. I believe God wants to initiate to you a new awareness so you can come to freedom in Jesus' name. Let me pray for you, God. I pray that today would be a day that would be a game changer for so many listening. For those that are watching right now for the first time, second time, those that are a part of our community, I pray that you would overwhelm them with your presence, overwhelm them with your power, overwhelm them in this heart season that may feel hard, overwhelm them that in this season of what feels like isolation, that you would visit them like you did with Moses when he felt alone in that moment, not knowing what to do, even though he pronounced it, that you visited him with instruction. That with Elijah, that you'd visited, that you would visit Elijah with the strength we need to go on the journey so you can speak to us and give us clarity for the season. That you, like Adam, God, when you asked Adam, where are you? That really you just wanted him to acknowledge what has happened, what was done. God, I pray that in this season that you would speak so clearly. That you'd replace cloudiness for clarity over and over again in this season. That you would remove heartache that's that's uh, pulling us into bitterness in this season. Hurt, sadness that just is unprocessed, that is holding us back, holding us down. Remove the unnecessary burdens around our life and on our life in this season. God, I pray for supernatural healing to come right now for those that are watching, that you'd strengthen their soul, lift up their head in this season, protect their heart, help them to discover the tools to guard the most precious part of their life in Jesus' name. Thank you, God, for what you're going to do. And everybody watching, whether it's right now live or after the fact, God, I believe that you're going to do an amazing thing in this next season in Jesus' name. Amen. I really, really hope that that message ministered to you today. I really hope that in this season you could have an, a receptivity and an openness to what God wants to do in your heart in this season of what may feel like isolation. I just believe that isolation is always a precursor just simply to a resurrection. Jesus' body was isolated in a grave for three days, but it didn't stop there. It was just a precursor to the greatest act, greatest moment of life in general. In fact, if there was not a resurrection, we would have no faith. Everyone's died at some point uh, in, in history. But the thing that separated Jesus amongst the rest, amongst any other God that people worshipped at some point, was that not only did he die a willing death and take the sin of the world upon his shoulders in that moment and eradicate sin from the playing field, he didn't just die, he resurrected on the third day. Romans 10 says that if you believe in your heart, or if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God was raised, Jesus was raised from the dead on the third day, you will be saved. That's just a starting point. That's the invitation to align yourself with what's already happened in the past. God has already forgiven you past, 
present, and future. When you receive his forgiveness today, you're just simply coming into agreement with the forgiveness that was already paid for on a cross over 2,000 years ago. And so you're simply just aligning yourself with the truth. And I want to encourage you today, if that's you, maybe you're sitting on the fence. Maybe you don't know if Jesus is real. You don't know what would happen to you. I want to encourage you to make the starting point decision today to say, yes, Jesus, I believe that you are God. I receive your forgiveness into my life. I believe that you were raised from the dead to raise me to new life. And I want a relationship with you. I don't want religion. I want a real relationship with you starting today. I'm saying yes. If that's you and you've opened up your heart and you've said that in your spirit, I want to encourage you that that is the best decision you will ever make in your entire life. And doesn't it doesn't stop there. That just, that's just the beginning of the journey. You simply align yourself with the truth and now you are called to live the relationship and friendship with God that he always had planned for you and your life. If you said that, you said yes to Jesus, I want you to email the email on the screen. Let us know. Give us a like in the comments. Send us a message. Let us know that you've started the journey today in Jesus' name. And we would love to partner with you to see success happen in your relationship moving forward with Jesus. God bless you, Kingdom Culture. We will see you next week.